This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Back, Tiger fans, to Rockham Radio's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is before the box score. Your Tigers are 4 0. And it's week five. Last I checked, that means they're undefeated. BK, how are you doing? Doing fantastic, Nate. Pass fail? I'm going to say it on the front end. Pass. We have had two straight pass fail games. Now, next week is not the same way. That is not a pass fail game. You'll be judged. Not only on the results of the game, but how you got there. But over the last couple of weeks, it has been a very simple, do you win or do you lose? And if you win 3-2, to two, you pass. If you win 100-99, to 99, you pass. If you lose, you fail. And yes. over the past few years, Missouri has failed. More often than not, in those tests. And in the last few weeks, and then they found a way to they found a way to pass. So credit to them, that is the most important piece of what we are going to be talking about today. They are passing their tests on a weekly basis thus far. Can't believe it, but it's true. Your Missouri Tigers went to St. Louis, took the zoo to the loo, met Memphis there, won 34-27. So, let's start with that. 34-27. to Let's talk about the optics of that. BK, I know you and I were talking. I think the entire Rockham Slack was talking about this. No one thought Missouri was losing this game. And even when Memphis would pull within a touchdown, no one was really panicking. Still, you end up at 34-27. You can play great, and it can still be tight just based off of how other teams take advantage of their situations, maximize their opportunities, such and such. But is this is this the prettiest one-score win of all time or the ugliest beatdown of a G5 team that Missouri can do? It's an interesting way to look at it because I think that's the right perspective. Um, a little bit of both, right? Like, it's yeah. it's probably somewhere in between if we're being totally honest about it. It was just kind of a weird game, and I mean that from every sense of the word. Like, the if you were watching in person, I have heard that the actual in-game atmosphere there at the Dome was pretty good. Like, fans were super into it. They They got loud, and it seemed like it was overall a pretty enjoyable experience. The field was not in a good place. Um, the broadcast was abysmal. We flat out like missed some plays. They yeah. like cut off the bottom portion of the play. It, just weird overall. Um, and then it kind of starts out with that onside kick that wasn't. So from the very beginning, everything just felt a little off. And that was timing wise. It was just a little bit of everything. So I, I think that carried through. 
uh, for the duration of this game. And I think that kind of led to the closer results than some would have liked. But we both said this is going to be a one-touchdown game. It's going to be uglier than what a lot of Mizzou fans are, are hoping for. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much what it was. Like, relative to my expectations, honestly, Nate, I Mizzou played pretty well. Um, the injuries did not help their case. The fields didn't help their case. Some weird third down plays, kind of like the Middle Tennessee game, did not help their case. But overall, I, I thought they played a, a B game in this one. Yeah, I, I that's kind of where my head was flowing, like a C plus, B minus, B game. And they beat a, a good Memphis team. I said it on Twitter. I'll say it in. Again, this was the best offense Missouri has gone up against all year. Top 30 in SP+. Plus. Still top 30 in SP+, plus, mind you. Like, they were going to land some punches. They were going to score some points. And halfway through the game, that really wasn't the case. They got a touchdown on a super short field, and they got a field goal. And that was really all they were able to create for 30, 35 minutes. Now, we get back to the score because it was, again, 34 to 27. So what the heck happened? Hmm. Let's think. Well, um, Missouri was out without basically their entire secondary. Ennis Rakestraw did not play at all. Drayden Norwood was lost about halfway through the second quarter. And then Chris Abrams Drayden got banged up at the end, even though he was Iron Man in it through the entire thing. So you literally had two corners available to you, which is uh, Cad and Marcus Clark, guys that you would trust. Then they were rotating safeties in at the corner yeah. positions. I saw Travez Johnson as a corner. I saw Jalen Carlisle as a corner. Like, and this was a team, a Memphis offense, that ended up attempting 57 passes against two corners and then a bunch of safeties. So, yeah, they found an opportunity. They, they took it. They exploited it. That's not always going to be the case. So, yes, it didn't look good, but it was a very specific reason why. I am with you with the with the like the actual optics of the game. It seemed like I was watching a 1999 St. Louis Rams game. Like I had to adjust my my rabbit ears on my TV. It was like they had little holograms around each other. It was like it was so weird. It was like a grayscale, uh, and the camera work was bad. But like okay, whatever. Yeah. Point is, it's tough to play in the dome. It is voluminous. It is hot, and the heat has nowhere to go. I have been on that field seven times in my life. You would be shocked at how sweaty, how fast, how dehydrated you get, and you can't really prepare for that because you don't really play inside all that much when you are a college football team. So you saw Luther Burden go down with cramps. Ennis Rayshaw apparently didn't play because of cramps. Um, you know, Everyone was kind of getting stretched out, hydrated, IV'd. And it was just weird. It was a weird situation. So I'm glad they did it. I'm glad you got the zoo to the loo. I'm glad you won your game against Memphis. I'm glad Memphis got bullied into doing this. But, you know, I've said years ago, where you got to win your clunkers. That's what good teams do. Because in college football, inevitably, you're going to look like junk for at least one or two games a year. And this was a mid-performance by a banged-up Missouri team that was good enough to beat a good G5 team. That's what matters BK pass fail. Yeah, exactly. And like, think about the games that Missouri had clunkers in last year. And think about what the results were, right? You had a clunker against Auburn. Remember how that ended up going? You found a way to lose. Uh, A couple of years ago, you think back to 2021, same coach in place, right? You had a little bit of a clunker, at least in terms of some of the decision-making, weird plays, stuff didn't go your way against Boston College. How'd that one end? Didn't go your way. And you go back all the way to 2019. Weird clunker in Wyoming starting off the season. 
found a way to lose, right? This team far too often in recent years has just found weird ways to lose. 2018, monsoon in South Carolina. You don't have the right situation. Like, it, weird stuff's happening. You're throwing a ball to a defensive lineman. They're running it the other direction. Like, find a way to lose. This year, the thing that needed to change was some of that one-score magic going back in their direction the way that it did at times in the 2020 season. That's what we're starting to see. They're starting to have enough, like, holy bleep moments, especially offensively, to where that stuff is heading in their direction more than it has been in previous seasons. And a lot of that, and let's go ahead and get to it, Nate, because of your quarterback and your all-star level wide receiver. Yep. Like, so much of what has changed on this team is, hey, they didn't have a quarterback in previous years. Guys, they've got a quarterback. Brady Cook's good. Like, if you just flat out asked me today, where would you rank Brady Cook among the quarterbacks in the SEC? I don't know that I would have him number one. But I know that he's in the conversation among the best in this conference right now. Like, top three. Jaden Daniels, probably the best quarterback in this conference. If you're just going top to bottom. Mm. KJ Jefferson? Jefferson, Probably the next one up for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you could have that conversation about Jackson Dart versus Brady Cook with the way that those two guys have played so far this year. I think they are the conversation for the third best quarterback in this conference. And if you're just going numerically, you can have every bit of a conversation <laughs> about Brady Cook being right up there. So yeah. Yeah. that's the difference, dude. Let's start with Brady. We'll get to Luther because my God, is that guy amazing? Ma'am, even with one knee, uno knee. I don't know what knee is in Spanish, so whatever. Uh, over 300 yards, second straight game. And that's that's always been the knock against Brady. Can't make the deep throws, can't be accurate, can't lead his receiver correctly. Boy, wow. Like those those arguments, I, I we heard them all offseason. We even heard them after South Dakota and Middle Tennessee. Same thing, can't, can't do it reliably. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think we're done with that argument. And and I know that it was against Memphis, which is a G5 team. It's probably going to win the American Conference, by the way. But still, I understand that it's not going to be perfect. I'm sorry. Guess what? This is college football. They're not perfect. The best players are not perfect. That's the beauty of college. So if you want a machine, robot, you know, automaton that can make 90% of his throws, okay, keep looking forever because you're never going to find that. Brady Cook not only has this team bought in around him, not only is he the unquestioned leader, he's just a good quarterback. He is moving around even on a bum knee. He can he's controlling the field with his eyes. He had two throws yesterday where he was drawing the line or the, the coverage one way, hit him on the other side. Uh any of the passes that he did, if they were mess ups, I mean he had a couple here and there. Most of them were drops. I just he is he is accurate. He can go downfield. He can control this offense. He has experience. He was mobile. Maybe will be at some point again. Hmm. I, I don't know what else you want unless you want the reincarnation of Brad Smith or, or Chase Daniel, in which case, you know, sorry, keep looking. I'm looking through game logs right now because I lost my search uh, search engine, by the way, man. They, they took it away from me. It's gone. Never to be found again from sports reference. Hopefully it'll reappear. Um do you know when the last time was that Missouri had a quarterback go for at least 300 yards, two or more passing touchdowns, and zero interceptions in back-to-back games? Drew Lofton, 18? He didn't do it. The interceptions is the problem. 
Because, like, they've had dudes go for big-time numbers, yeah. but we're seeing Brady Cook both with the efficiency, the mm -hmm. explosiveness, and preventing the interceptions, which is a huge piece of what we probably haven't spent enough time on. Mm -hmm. When Br Connor Bazelak, like, you look back at 2020. Dude. Some of the passing numbers were honestly, like, okay. The problem was the interceptions. The problem was, like, they were just not finding ways to prevent the turnovers from taking place. And now you're getting the best of that explosive passing game and you're preventing the worst of the turnovers that come with it at times. Mm -hmm. I am all the way back through the year 2012 and have not found a back-to-back -back perform. Here it is. I found it. Um, 2011 was the last time Jesus that a Missouri God. quarterback did this in back-to-back -back games. Um, but that included a game against Western Illinois, which I feel like shouldn't count for something like this. <laughs> I wonder if Chase did it. I bet Chase. I'm, I'm did sure it. he did. I'm sure he did. But but, but is it going to be like a Nevada and then turn around like Buffalo? I don't know. But still, the fact the fact that we've had all these number of quarterbacks in that amount of time who can't do this sort of thing that's incredible. And really, go back last year because after you know the last six games of the year. Brady Cook didn't throw an interception. And now we're four games into this year. Yeah. And it, well, he's not even close. This isn't like, you know, the ball, you know, caroms off of a receiver's hands and bounces up in the air and like, you know, oh, God, you know, that, that guy should have had it or, you know, the safety should have picked it off or, you know, jumps around and gets all, you know, thumbs for fingers and drops it. Like, there's none of that. He's got control of where the defense is and where to lead him. He, he's it, – it's, it's not by accident. Found it. Last time that a Mizzou quarterback did this was 15 years ago. It was indeed Chase Daniel against Nevada and Buffalo in back-to-back -back games. I knew it. I knew so. it was going to be Nevada and Buffalo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you did. You, I knew it. <laughs> you had that one in your back pocket. You were like, hey, BK, look up to the 2008 season. I think it was like week three and four, and they had this crazy good passing offense against Man. Nevada and Buffalo. But, yeah, I mean, what, what we're watching right now, the reason why I wanted to look that up is because, like, Dude, I, there's not even a debate to be had anymore on Brady. No, like that, no. it's over. The, the debate is done. Brady Cook is your guy. And now it's just a matter of like, okay, what's the ceiling for this dude? Because we also have to remember he's still relatively young in terms of playing experience. Even if he's not like a young kid necessarily, the way that a Sam Horn is, he, he doesn't have a ton of experience. He's basically got one year of starters level experience so far at the University of Missouri he could still get better. Like the expectation in fact should be that he's going to continue getting better. And a big part of how he's going to do it is that dude that wears the number three next to him Man. and he targets him a whole heck of a lot. And uh, he should continue doing that because that guy's really good at this football thing. 10 receptions, 176 yards. Juked the guy so hard. He cranked, he cramped up like my God, I, you run out of superlatives at some point, and that's kind of where we hit with Denario Alexander in 2009, where you're like, he's just going to go off for 200. He's just going to do that. I don't know what anyone else is going to do, but we know he's going to do that. Uh, and Denario had that ability to just have that one play per game where you're like, wow, like against K-State, where he went up for a pass, caught it, had his helmet knocked off, and he goes, see ya, and runs for an extra 25 yards. He just, mm, That's just kind of what he did. At this point, Luther Burden, he's not like a muscle-you-over kind of receiver like Denario was. He is a, I've got the ball, and I'm going to make you look freaking stupid as you try to tackle me. 
the number of screenshots I have seen of people of like he tried to tackle Luther and looking like you know they're doing a cat cow in the morning. Like my <laughs> God, they it's it's like he they just bounce off or like he's just not there. He's freaking Nightcrawler from the X Men. I just, it's incredible how much control he has over himself, how much he can juke out a defense and fake them out, and how good he is at turning three into eight or nine just magically. And if he keeps this up, man, like I don't want to jinx it, and obviously the the award hates the University of Missouri, but you can talk Bolitnikov potential here because I know he was on the list heading into the season, and he has certainly done nothing to take himself off of it. No, he, he hasn't. Um He's one of the best receivers in the country, like just full stop. He is that good with what he's done so far. He's the first Missouri wide receiver to go for 100 or more in three straight games since Jamon Moore back in 2016. What what he's doing right now, dude, and it, it should be four straight. Like he, he had 96 yards against South Dakota. It could have been 140 if they really wanted it to be in that one, uh, but they just shut it down in the second half of that game. He... The only comparisons that I've got for him in terms of the way that he plays, stylistically, if you're looking non-Mizzou, it's been the comp that's out there. I think Eli Drinkwitz made it. It's Debo Samuel, but like with health, knock on wood, fingers crossed that that continues to be the case. But he's he's Debo Samuel. He looks like a running back playing wide receiver, but I have been so impressed by what he's doing with the wide receiver things that he's been asked to do so far this year, man. That would that is the biggest difference between this year and last. A year ago, he just looks like a running back who was out playing wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Now he is a wide receiver that when he gets the ball in his hands, plays like a running back. And with him being in the slot, dude, it is it is just so much fun to watch. I I've been amazed by what he's been able to do with the ball in his hands, dude. Yeah. I mean, for comparison. This is, they're basically the same. Nathaniel Pete, 5'10", 206, is his listed height and weight. With the burn, 5'11", 208. Basically the same guy. Um, except Luther Burden is just this magical freak who uh, catches the ball really well and runs super fast. I, I don't know. You know, it's, it's going to be a health thing that shuts him down. Simply put, he has a weapon on the other side in Theo Weiss who... Doesn't have the numbers, but certainly certainly has the danger. And he's really solid. He's a really solid. He's great. You know, he stepped up and caught the touchdown pass once Luther went out. He's you know that's a second in, in two weeks. Um, you know, we Mikai Miller is dealing with kind of a finger injury right now, which is kind of yeah. weird. But like Marquise Johnson, hello. Let's just go deep to him every single day, dude. This kid can play. Oh my like, god! Like, well, let me. This kid can run. Yeah. And right now, at this point in his development, that's all he needs to do. If you get this guy on the field for, like, five snaps a game, and on one of those snaps, he outruns his defender, that more than makes up for whatever you're lacking with him being out there on those other, like, four snaps where he doesn't get the football. Because, I mean, holy hell, that guy is fast. On on Twitter, I called him, uh, you know, Marquise Emmanuel Hall Johnson, because that's just run the nine route, be fast, yep. be faster than the other guy. And in college, that can take you a really far way. Now, it would be nice for him to develop some other things, and they tried to manufacture a touch for him by kind of doing that reverse you know, uh, jet sweep with him, which, whatever. Um, just just make him run down the field, man. That We don't need to get cute. Just I know Eli Drink was like, we got to give him the ball more. I'm like, just make him, just make him run deep. Yeah. That's, that's what you want. 
it, um, it's got some uh ray wingo vibes to it hey, it's like yeah. hey just 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 go deep <laughs> don't do anything else just just run as go far on, and as fast yeah. as you can we'll get you the ball like 10 times over the course of the season and in those 10 catches you'll have like 400 yards because <laughs> that's all you're gonna do is you're just like yeah. your average depth of target is gonna be 30 yards down the field and you're gonna yeah. complete like 50 percent of them yeah. um but when you catch them it's gonna be a massive play every single time I don't. I don't put a lot of stock into national talk about my school because most of the time they don't know what the hell they're talking about. For the second week in a row, though, the broadcast team has talked about how awesome Missouri's wide receiving core is. And on my personal favorite college football podcast, I know it's not Rock M, uh, Splitstone Duo. Even they took time out today or this past week to, to cite Jacob Peeler, uh, the wide receivers coach, and how great of a job he has done at accumulating talent at Missouri. And how formidable the receiving core at Missouri is in the SEC, if not the nation. And it is, you know, two five stars, a bunch of four stars. Mookie Cooper's finally rounding into form, right? You have a lot of you have a lot of options when you usually didn't have those. And that's really the difference. That is how we've gotten this explosive factor in Eli Drinkwitz's offense that's been missing for the past three years because you finally have a competent, talented receiving core. That makes a huge difference. Yeah, I mean, just Think about the tight end spot, right? So, obviously, they're not super involved in the passing game. However, Brett Norfleet has had some nice moments this year. Now, he did not play in this game against Memphis, and I think you noticed it. That yeah. that Was it the fourth down play where Brady Cook kind of got, got off kilter? He ended up jumping. I, I think he thought he was playing basketball there for a moment and forgot that he can come back down to the ground with the football. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's not like a hot potato. You're not going to get calls for traveling there. Yeah. Um but he, he ends up throwing that. It is a little behind Stevens. You'd like to see a better pass there. But I think Norfleet makes that play. And if he does, you extend that drive. And now you're talking about maybe the opportunity for some more explosives. And it's just one of those small things that, like, that would have been maybe a 15-yard reception. It's not something that's going to jump off the stat sheet because there was a lot of green grass in front of Stevens whenever that play was. Like, the design worked. Everything mm -hmm. about the play worked. Just the execution was a split second off. When you have better players that are going to be a part of that on the other end, that's the kind of thing that, okay, you start looking at it and you say to yourself, was it too cute for that spot? Maybe, but they've got a guy that can execute it. And so um, you can just do things that you couldn't do in previous seasons. And that's just one example on the the lower level of the rung. Like Mookie's made some really big plays. We were talking previously about, hey, do, do they need to cut his snap counts down? He's been pretty good last couple of been. weeks making plays and um, taking advantage of his opportunities. Theo Weiss showing up in big spots. Marquise Johnson getting out there, showing you that they've got a little depth with a guy that can do some different types of things from what the other uh, other guys had. And maybe that's most important, Nate. One of my favorite podcasts is an NFL draft one. It's called Move the Sticks. And they always talk about how you construct a wide receiver room. Mm -hmm. And they always say, speaking of basketball, you construct your receiver room like a basketball team where you've got different heights, different sizes, different guys that can do different things. You got a slasher, a shooter, a big play. That's what Missouri has now. Like you look at the guys that they have and how many times last year or the last couple of years have we said, man, it's just seven different slot receivers that they're That's just hard. kind of throwing yeah. on the on the field and they're hoping yeah. that somebody wins outside. Theo Weiss is a classic X wide receiver. He's going to land up on the line of scrimmage. He's going to play against press man coverage and he's going to win over the top. And he's going to do it pretty well. That is a super valuable piece to have on the backside of a play. 
Luther Burden is a classic slot wide receiver. Mookie Cooper is actually a really good flanker. Like, as a Z wide receiver, that's kind of what you want him to do. Get him in motion, do some of Jet Sweep stuff. Like, they just, they have pieces that make sense in different mm-hmm. roles now. And that has not been the case in previous years. No, that's a breath of fresh air. And you've got a quarterback who can hit him and avoid the dumb choices. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, there are things to point out that that make you upset, right, against against a G5 team. Did the running game really get going? No, not really. They had some moments here and there. You also didn't have Brady Cook, who was fully mobile, so that does affect the running game, but you would have liked to see a little bit more. Well, uh, they were pretty good in the second half. Once we once we got to the second half, they were really starting to yeah. kind of wear them out, but in the first, it was, okay, this isn't super great. In the first, um, I thought they should never run the football again. <laughs> just all, air raid baby just exclusively throw it yeah. to your wide receivers because Might that well. offense was working out very well and then they started to run it and everything stalled yeah and you know there's still the holding penalties there's still false starts here and there but you know it, an sec offensive line asserted their will in the second half against a g5 team a good g5 team so it, it worked out in the end he had some big runs there especially towards the end man that was that was great so is that something to monitor as we head into conference season? Sure. It's always been a thing to monitor. We'll we'll figure it out. Um, and then on the defensive side. Before we get talk- their name, one, yes. one, one other nit to pick uh-huh. on the offensive side of the football. Yeah. Hey, uh, guys, three for 21 on third down over the last two weeks. Oh, does we that should- seem like a problem? We should We should probably try to do better than that on, on third downs. Um, they they need to get that going a little bit. And some of that is down in distance. Some of that is, as you mentioned, he talks about the penalties. They put themselves into some bad spots because of those penalties where it's difficult to convert on, you know, third and 15. Um, but their, their third down conversion situation right now in the two games that they've had where they're going up against legit competition uh, is something that is noteworthy at a minimum and concerning at most. So let's let's review. Again, South Dakota, Missouri was six for ten in third downs. Their average yards to go on third down was five point seven. Against Middle Tennessee, they were seven for thirteen on third down. Okay, a little little more than half. Five point three was the average yards to go. Then you get to K State. If you remember, they were three of thirteen. On third down. Mm-hmm. Average yards to go on third down, 8.5. There you go. Against Memphis, oh, 0 for 8 on third down. Average yards to go, 8.1. This might be the problem. <laughs> yeah, hey, your third down problem is actually a first and a second down problem, which goes back to the running problem. But if you just keep converting first downs by going deep all the time, you don't have to worry about third. Explo- then, explosive plays make up for a lot of other issues, man. It's like three-point shooting. Issues. Missouri basketball did it last year. It covered up all the warts for the fact that they had a bunch of non-power five players from Cleveland State, but you hit your threes, and that's what made it happen. So, I, yeah, that's that's it. But, then, of course, just like three-pointers, big plays are unreliable. They will dry up at some point. What do you do then? Missouri's answer was to go 0 for 8 on third down. That's what <laughs> yeah. they chose to do. So, um, yes, again, something to monitor. But do you want to talk about defense? Are we getting there now? 
Let's talk yeah. about Yeah, and Missouri's defense is like the opposite of Missouri's offensive Man. issues. <laughs> so it good is... on efficiency and so many explosives. It's so weird that this is still Blake Baker's defense. And, like, he when he was first hired, I remember going to the uh, Missouri Tiger Club in St. Louis and explaining what he was. Because I remember his days in Miami. I, I remember what he had done previously. And basically, Blake Baker says, all right, if I can get pressure with four, I'm going to get pressure with four. If I need to get pressure with five or six, I'll figure it out. I'll get pressure with five or six. Yesterday, he was getting trying to get pressure with seven or eight dudes, and it wasn't hitting. So you had a team that had uh, 28%, 24% success rate on the game magically get a 40% success rate on third down and a 75% success rate on fourth down. Again, maximizing your chances, taking advantage of what you have. That's probably why it was closer than it should be because Missouri absolutely dominated in the first two downs, which I wrote about in my preview, and absolutely let them off the hook in third down, which is kind of what they'd like to do. I don't know how you fix it. Tyron Hopper is not nearly as havocky as he used to be. The secondary is not nearly as handsy as they were last year. And you have a linebacking core that's kind of rotating Chad Bailey, Chuck Hicks. And it's it's not as effective as it was last year. So either this is what it is or Chad Bailey comes back fully healthy and completely rejuvenates the entire thing. And I really don't think that's the answer. Yeah, I think a big part of this is just like we talked all offseason about their lack of options at defensive end. And it's starting to show up They they don't have a ton of depth there. They lost in this game, Darius Robinson. He finished the day with seven pass rush snaps. And when you look at what they had on their pass rush opportunities, it was Niles Gaddy. 46 of the 47 dropbacks he was in there to, to rush the passer. First of all, that's exhausting. Like, there's no way that you can successfully do that at this level, especially in that dome, given how sweaty and nasty it was. Johnny Walker Jr., 33 pass rush snaps in the 47 dropbacks. Now, it is also worth monitoring. He was also dropping back into coverage on, like, eight of those dropbacks as well. Because they were doing zone blitzes. Like, this is part yeah. of the defense. And I know people are going to get bad at it because Johnny Walker Jr. is not good in coverage. But in order to make this defense successful, if you're going to have to blitz, you got to pull a defender out from that defensive line to make up for the lack of numbers that you have coming from elsewhere. It's the only way you can make those kinds of plays work. It's part of the scheme. That's what you give up whenever you need to blitz in order to get pressure on the quarterback. Otherwise, like... Joe Moore, do you remember seeing him a single time? Uh, two plays I remember him, and I don't remember him making a play, but I saw him on two snaps. Austin Firestone, I remember being he out there. He made a tackle. Like, he made a huge, like, swing around tackle, but, yeah, that's all I remember. Tyron Hopper really didn't do much as a blitzer in this game. Like, it's oh. just there's not a lot going on with their defensive ends as pressure guys. And when you have that happen, you have to rely more on a guy like Dalen Carnell coming in as a blitzer. You got to have these uh, slot corners coming in on blitzes. You got to fire these linebackers up the A gap. And what ends up happening is now you're putting your corners on an island. They're all playing man to man with safeties lined up man on man. And if one guy loses their coverage snap and you allow an extra split second because your guys aren't getting home with the blitz, now you're screwed. And that's what's happening right now defensively is they're they're not getting home enough. They're forcing more guys to go into blitz situations, taking numbers away from the secondary. 
And when you're in a game like this, where your quarters are dropping like flies, it's that's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. And so it's something that does need to get fixed, but I, I don't really know how you fix it, honestly, other than get Ennis Rakestraw back and have one of the best cornerback duos in the SEC again. That's repetition, man. Just repetition. I mean, I, I know we talked about Tyron Hopper. Eventually, some of those pressures are going to turn into sacks, and they did last year, but he had a lot left on the table. And we're like, oh, well, you know, maybe eventually they will turn into it, and just we haven't seen it yet. I know Dalen Carnell generates pressure on like 40% of his rushes or something like that, but guys, you also cannot just send him every play. Like, that's that again, that puts Johnny Walker in coverage. And when you put Johnny Walker in coverage, you're doing something wrong. I mean, you're giving him a break, but like it that's not where you want that's not where you want him to be. So I, I, I don't know what the answer is. Missouri finished uh rough numbers 23.6% havoc rate. Again, last year, that number had to be like in the 30s and the 40s in a win, and would be in the 20s, 15s, and 20s during losses. So yay, you're winning games with low havoc. Also, where is the havoc? And I think to your point, it's just edge rusher when you lose an Isaiah McGuire and you lose DJ Coleman and you lose just everything that was out there, plus all your 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 defensive tackles that could create pressure. What you really need is you just need more pressure up the middle. And that's where Darius Robinson would be great, but you're putting him on the edge. So and I don't you need know what to do. I, I don't think they have, like I was the one that was saying all offseason, I think they're eventually just going to move Darius Robinson inside. I don't know that they can. Like Johnny Walker Jr. has been awesome awesome this year and not enough has probably been written and i'm i'm thinking about maybe correcting that this week uh, writing a piece on him but uh, otherwise if he's not in there as a defensive end i i don't niles gaddy i think is a pretty good player i, I think he's maybe underrated he's a really nice third rotational piece as a defensive end i don't think you have a second starting defensive end if if you don't end up with darius robinson out there um so i'm I'm starting to understand why they decided to make that move. <laughs> you know, Williams, Winero will be here next year. Yeah. Not going to help us out this year, but um, here's Gotta one hold. of your answers. You'll still have, you'll probably still have Johnny Walker. Austin Firestone's still going to be around. I'm assuming Joe Moore is going to still be around. I wish DJ Wesselak could, you know, uh, awaken the echoes and, and, and achieve some of that pass rush that we saw in high school. But again, that takes time, and, and he clearly is not ready. So you are what you are. And, you know, if, if Blake Baker is going to win by – I don't feel like sending Nate is the answer. But, you know, if you can just – if you can play a shell defense and you can be like that amoeba that just kind of moves and removes kind of all that stuff and plays it, plays it close, plays it tight, kind of what they did yesterday when they lost all their corners, like you can win that way. Again, there's not a lot of great quarterbacks in the SEC who are going to beat you that way, so maybe that is the answer. But it does make you nervous because we saw how this defense won last year and they're still winning. I mean, they're still uh, 20th in the nation, according to SP+. But when you are when you talk college sports, you always talk about how you're going to lose. And it's very clear how this team is going to lose. Right? The deep shots don't hit. Luther Burden can't create. And the defense just cannot create enough havoc to counteract uh, whatever's happening to them. So the recipe is there four games in. We know how it's going to go. But so far, this team's done a pretty good job of working as a unit to overcome those. And again... 4-0. Talking about a team that's 4-0 right now. So that's the, still a good thing. The other thing, like, one piece of this puzzle that we're probably not giving enough credit to Missouri's defense on is they're just shutting down every running game they go up against. Yeah. And that makes the opposing offense one-dimensional. And when you can get them into those one-dimensional situations, it does allow for some of those blitzes. And 
Man, for as much as we talk about some of the explosives going in the other direction, like I, I looked this up a little bit earlier because I was curious on it. I, it feels like they've allowed 30 plays of 30 yards. <laughs> it's actually not the case. So this year they've allowed 60 plays of 10 or more yards. It's a lot. It's the second most in the SEC so far this season. Two and a half a game, yeah. They've only allowed five plays of 30 plus yards in four games. That's pretty good. It's actually third in the SEC. So they're giving up chunk plays. They're giving up like 10 to 20 yards consistently. You'd like to cut that out, obviously. That's the ideal scenario. But you're going to give those up. If you're taking away those really big plays, the ones that Luther Burden makes, right? You're actually kind of coming out ahead here. If you're playing the run really well, you're preventing a bunch of these like big time explosive plays. You're forcing opposing teams to drive like 10 plays whenever they're going 80 yards. And most of the offenses that you're going to go up against this year, if you force them to make 10 to 12 play drives, eventually they make a mistake. They're going to allow a sack. They're going to have a drop. They're going to have a play that just, for whatever reason, the execution isn't there, right? And then that puts them behind the sticks. Now it's third and 12. As long as you don't allow one of those big explosive plays, you're in a pretty good spot defensively. So I think they're actually a better defense than maybe it feels like sometimes because over the last few weeks, like especially against Memphis and then against Middle as well, they just made these crazy good plays on third down. And it's kind of, it's taking away from some of the successful plays that Missouri's defense is indeed making. Well, and the, to your point, 2.9 yards per carry. That's what Missouri's defense is allowing right now. They have not given up a rushing touchdown. And okay. remember, they played K-State. They played Kansas. I want to run the ball state. <laughs> so it's working out okay. You know, again, let's... Let's review. How many teams have not allowed a rushing touchdown yet this year? Oh, it can't be that many. Oh, it's three. Can you name them? One of them is perfect. Just absolutely perfect. Iowa. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Which, by the way, Iowa had fewer yards, 76, than Penn State had plays run, 92. But, hey, they didn't give up a rushing touchdown. Their offensive coordinator. R.I.P., man. Um... I would the, uh, the other one not named Missouri because you've got Missouri and Iowa. You're two out of three so far. Has a coach who is considered to be one of the better defensive minds in college football. Give you one guess and I'll give it to you. Oregon. No, good guess though. Um, they have allowed one on the season. It is Oklahoma. Yeah. Oklahoma is the oh, good for them. Yeah. Jerks. Those are your three teams, Missouri, Oklahoma, and Iowa. Those are good teams to be to be mentioned with when it comes to what you're doing defensively. Uh, Missouri's actually been better against the run this year than Oklahoma has. They're allowing 2.6 yards per carry. Oklahoma's at 2.7. Wow. So it's slight, but it's right there. You know, and, and let's you know, let's talk about the passes faced. You know, against South Dakota, um, the Yotes, the Coyotes, uh, had 32 rushes and 25 passes. Okay. So that's not one. But against Middle Tennessee, Middle ran the ball 24 times, threw it 30, 40 times, counting sacks. K-State, again, K, I'm going to run the ball, State, 30 rushes and 41 passes. (laughs) And then, of course, Memphis, 26 rushes, 50 
seven passes. Missouri's becoming a pass foe. When, when you go against yeah. Missouri, you have to pass the football. You, and you know it going into the game, and part of what is also leading to this is Missouri's offense. Yet you, you got to keep up. Mm-hmm. Eventually, it just becomes a battle of points. Hey, man, mm-hmm. we're going to score 40 today, which might be what it requires us to do offensively. We got to get this ball in the air because that's the only way we're going to get there. Yeah. And again, the SEC is not ripe with great quarterbacks right now. You know, who are you scared of? Spencer Rattler randomly going off for one game. I'm sure he will, but Spencer Rattler. Joe Milton randomly putting it together for one game. I'm sure he will, but, you know, you are banking on unlikely scenarios to happen multiple times. Now, again, does Snake Eyes roll against Missouri more often than not? Yeah, that's kind of our thing. At the same time, we also have this offense, which has magically become explosive. So we know how they're going to lose, and it can happen, but Missouri's weakness, at least right now as we see it, is not really something that we can foresee teams taking advantage of. And that's, I know it's frustrating right now, but it should make you feel better as you go forward. Randy's going to be an interesting matchup. I think Missouri should win this one by by a decent margin, but just for what Missouri's defense does well and what they don't do well, Bandy does have some dudes out of wide receiver. Um, Shepard. You remember Will Shepard. He got thrown to 22 times last year. He was it. He's uh, he's very good. He's very good. And uh, he's having a very solid season already uh, so far this season. And Vanderbilt's offense is actually, they've been all right so far this year they've been better than i think most fans would probably believe um but this is not a team that should do a lot of damage against you you they're also one-dimensional like they lost ray davis to kentucky so it's it's slinging around they're 60th best offense in the country uh 110th on defense that'll be fun that'll be a fun thing missouri's offense should have a really nice day i'm not going to say the thing because someone pointed out that this was the first time Missouri was ranked in the AP since 2019. We all remember what happened when Missouri was ranked in 2019. They went on the road to Vanderbilt. We don't need to talk about it. I don't remember a thing that happened. We that's, all blacked out and we all died. That's, <laughs> it's one of my least favorite football games I can remember as a Missouri fan. Easily. Yeah, Easily. Most embarrassing loss in my book, by far. Right up there with Purdue. Now, I don't care. I was a conference reporter. People got fired for that game. An entire staff did. That was the beginning of like, it. It technically didn't happen after that game, but that game got that people fired. Yeah, that basically was it. Because then you the didn't, moment. you didn't win another game until Arkansas limped in, one of the worst Arkansas outfits ever. Tough year. That's but not going to happen, back, baby. STP. <laughs> Something to prove. Prove it. Prove that you belong in the top 25. Prove this is not the Odom Tigers. Hell, prove, prove that, that you're not what you were last year. This game was embarrassing last year. This was not a good, a fun football game to, to watch last season. No. Your offense sucked. Your defense was fine, mostly. Um, but your offense really sucked a lot in this game last year. And I don't want to watch that again. This was the game that officially made me say Eli Drinkwitz needs to find an offensive coordinator. And I remember, like, the, you know, the social media team at Mizzou Football put out the video, and the clock hit 0-0. What's Eli do? He points to our illustrious DC and says, Blake, thank you. I'm like, boy, we got to get you. We got to get you a friend. We got to get you a friend to call some plays because this, this, this ain't working. Luther won them that game last year, and their defense won them that game last year. 
If not for those, what did Luther finish with? Uh, 65, 65 and a touchdown. Um, His touchdown was significant. I remember that one. Okay. Because he made a lot of people look stupid. I know I need to be more specific when it comes to Luther Burden and making people look stupid, but I remember, I remember that one. Yeah. Yeah. He was a big piece of that. What have you seen the line on this yet? 12. Well, as, as of uh, 2 o'clock this afternoon when I put out the opening lines. Nate, I am the worst sports better in the world. I exclusively I lose sports bets. Exclusively. Good. Fantastic. Um, I would take Missouri minus the 12 in this one, I think. I would, too. I think I would Famous last words. Especially since Mizzou can only play one-score games. I think that's really should be the takeaway from anything. It doesn't matter what Eli Drinkwitz does. It doesn't matter how fancy we get. It's still going to be a one-possession game at the end. So... Maybe we are except, for thinking that. Except against Vandy, and we can get to this more on our uh, preview pod. This one is not just a pass-fail. <laughs> I do St- want style points. That's what Style you points matter to me in this yeah. game okay. because I need you to show me you can beat LSU. And, Nate, yeah. I've been the guy that says that uh, this conference isn't very good, and it, it's not. It's not a very good conference this year. LSU's pretty good. LSU's pre- pretty darn good at the football. Uh, that Jaden Daniels guy is very good. They're probably going to win the West, right? Yeah. yeah. I think they're the best SEC team that I have watched so far this year. I would I would say, yeah. Certainly the most consistent. I know I that know Georgia, is tech- Georgia should not be ranked number one, by the way. Dude, That's fraudulent. What the, I don't understand. Did you watch that game yesterday? No, I I didn't playing, watch Georgia versus UAB. <laughs> just playing with their food. You got a Trent Dilfer team hanging with Georgia. Explain to me why, like, you look into this stuff as much as anybody that I've ever met. Explain to me why Washington shouldn't be ranked number one right now. I can't think of a single okay. reason. That That is the most quarterback married to the system offense i have ever it's perfect they're the best team i've watched it is at least the best they have the best thing that i've watched so far it is fun it is aggressive it is competent washington's great this isn't like chris peterson like win with the little things this is punch you with the big things and they have a tremendous quarterback i'm so sad the pac 12 is going away Dude, the, the back end of this schedule, and I for Mizzou fans, they're like, hey, isn't this a Mizzou podcast? It is, not, but not like, anymore. these are the teams that you might be playing against in the college football playoffs. Hey, you there you go. Now the teams uh, that you're going up against here pretty soon. These are, these are your, your future opponents. Oh, my God. Washington, in the last seven weeks or so of their schedule, will play against Oregon, USC, Utah, Oregon State, and Washington State. And I am here for it. It is going to be so much fun. Dude, the quarterbacks at that conference are ridiculous, and Cam Rising has, like, not played. Not played. Not played. Washington State's quarterback is a stud. I, I bet against that guy this weekend. Cam Warren? <laughs> Didn't like that. He's got it figured out. He has got it figured out. He is fun as hell. Do you know how much I did not enjoy betting against that gentleman? No. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Moral of the you story, should... bet on the Tigers. Always bet on the Tigers. Bet on fun. Missouri bet on one LSU. possession games. That's what we're gonna do. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we'll we'll cover that midweek pod. I I am doing some data searching on one possession games and Eli Drinkwitz. Not in the way that you think, but I'm gonna come with some stories to figure out if we can break this curse. But for now, BK, final thoughts before we get the heck out of here. 
Uh, this was a pass-fail test. They passed it. That's all they needed to do. And I I probably skewed a little too negative in my takeaways last night because I was annoyed by the broadcast, by the game, by everything that took place. That, that was a pretty good win by your Missouri Tigers. I mean, if you look at SP+, Memphis is ranked 41st right now. That would have been a better win, according to SP+, than beating South Carolina, than beating Mississippi State, uh, Illinois, like... They are a better football team than a lot of the Power 5 programs that you could be or will be playing against later this year. Good win by Missouri. Found a way to do it in what is obviously less than advantageous uh, scenario, playing at the Dome. Glad they got it. Now go out there, win with style points against Fandy, and then we get to the game that we have all been waiting for. It's conference season, baby. It starts counting, so you got to do it now. That's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or rate us. We love all types of feedback from you all. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He's at BK Sports Talk. And, of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation and podcasting outlet at Rockin' Radio. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Rock M Radio, a proud partner of Fans First Sports Network. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to see more just like it being directly into your personal device, just click the subscribe button below. Uh, and you can find this podcast through the Apple Podcast app or for iPhone or the Google Podcast app for Android or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. Uh, we are also available on Spotify. Just search for Rock M Radio. Uh, and if you like other sports, Fans First Sports Network uh, is a podcast network that has uh coverage of all other teams major league baseball uh, mls uh nfl whatever you want uh to listen and and read about it is a great great network full of really fantastic podcasts so look them up and subscribe uh to any and all of those podcasts uh rock m radio will be back with more episodes coming soon thanks